0: Welcome to Change, Redefining Success, the podcast designed to inspire you and give you actionable information to enhance, up-level, reimagine, and reinvent your life and your livelihood. I'm your host, first-class life mentor and certified profiting from your passions coach, Kate Fessler. My guest today is Petra Mayer. With more than 20 years of experience in the corporate world and her private practice, Petra is a business strategy coach based in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. Petra has gone through her share of transitions in her life. She has moved many times between continents and last moved from Germany to Canada in 2001. Petra transformed from corporate employee to creating her own business when her job moved to a different country and she chose not to follow. As an online business mentor, she helps her clients gain clarity and overcome barriers in order to create an online presence that attracts their ideal clients and is location independent, providing the freedom entrepreneurs seek in their business. Welcome, Petra. Oh, thank you so much, Kate, and I'm excited to be here. I am always fascinated by other cultures, and I've traveled extensively, but you've actually lived on several continents. Tell me about that.
1: That is correct. I've actually between the age of 22 and 35, I've moved seven times between continents. Wow. And uh it's been uh, an interesting life, but it certainly also has some challenges when you do that. That's for sure.
0: So and, was that um, for work
1: or was that Yeah, it it uh, it was mostly um in my early 20s, uh I very first my my first move Um, was between Germany and the United States. I lived in Florida for a couple of years, and I had a job there that I uh, was basically in for uh, as a management trainee. So it was one of my first jobs after uh, completing an apprenticeship uh, as a hotel specialist. So I was working in Florida and North Miami Beach at a very posh resort hotel and uh, learned the ropes and learned the ropes about conventions and meeting planning and so on. Uh, that was really exciting. And then uh, after that, I went back to Germany. That was more uh, due to family reasons that I came went back to Germany. And that was quite a culture shock, I have to say. Um, it's funny when you move between continents, and that may be the same when you move between countries. I, I don't have that that as a as a comparison, if you move closer, but still, um, let's say, through a different culture, but you get a little rootless. You get a little uh, unsure anymore what really your home is. So that was um, a, a difficult time to settle back into Germany, and mm. it took me probably about a year until mm-hmm. I kind of realized I was sabotaging my own well-being. And oh. um, just by not really wanting to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like I was forced to move to Germany again, and I didn't really want to do this. So uh, that was a, a tricky period, but I came to the conclusion that I needed to change my attitude to it for uh-huh. it to be better.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and that made a big change. But then I was, in the meantime, I had started uh, to study uh, a business for a business degree, And I took the opportunity at that particular uh, university, they also advise you to take some practical semesters. So I applied for a job in Australia, Ah. which I got. So I moved to Australia to do this practical semester, which was supposed to be six months. Uh, I had a scholarship for that and I was working for Lufthansa, the German airline in Sydney. And uh, But I kind of thought, well, I really want to stay a little longer. So I decided that I would speak to one of my professors even before leaving if I could potentially extend in Australia and write my final paper, even though I still had a year of university to go. So he went with it, and so I stayed for a little bit over a year in Australia and did that um, practical period with Lufthansa and then wrote a final paper on the airline industry at that time which was going through a whole um reorganization and um that was an interesting uh, an interesting paper and I did that kind of remotely with my professor being in Germany and and I did the the paper in in Australia and then I really would have liked to stay to be quite honest um but I realized if I had stayed I would have had to go back to university. None of the years that I'd spent at university would have been accepted. So oh, really? I had only one <laughs> more year to go. So I thought, no, this is just ridiculous. And if I've mm-hmm. made it here once, I'll make it back. Um, so I went back to Germany and finished finished university. And then after that, I went on a mission to find another job in Australia. And I did. Yeah. <laughs> So that took me back, and this time I was um, working in Melbourne, close to Melbourne, for a tour operator. Mm-hmm. And when I got there, shortly after I got there, they went through a major reorganization, and they didn't really have suitable jobs anymore in Australia, but they offered me an, an a really good job, in Germany, so I went back to back Germany. to Germany. <laughs> yes, you hear that. You hear there's a bit of a pattern here. <laughs> and so I was back in Germany. I worked for the company for another, I think it was like seven years or something. And um, then it was time for me to kind of move on. And uh, I I moved around in Germany a little bit for different roles. And my last role there was with British Airways. And while I was working with British Airways, again, the airline industry was going through a lot of changes uh, with the Star Alliance starting uh, there. They were coming up, the first alliance that was coming together. And British Airways then, together with American Airlines and some other airlines, founded the One World Alliance. And the One World Alliance had their office here in Vancouver so I guess you know what's coming next. <laughs> I got a job to come and join the One World Alliance here in Vancouver, and that was the move in 2001.
0: Ah. And I've been here since then. Well, Australia, you know, I, I've i visited there. My husband did a three-month internship there um, when he was in school, and he loved it. He was out near, um, uh, oh, I can't remember what it's called, something bay by uh, – near Sydney, um, and possibly, and we've, we've been back to, um, Melbourne and Sydney and then up to, uh, Brisbane, Mm -hmm. and it is just a beautiful country. I can see why you wanted to go back there. Um, you know, I haven't been all over Germany. I've only been to Berlin, but, um, I don't know. Australia is a little, a little freer, a little more, um, sunny and, uh, I don't know they all seem so happy over there. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely that's why they call themselves the the lucky country, but it is very much so. I mean there's there's obviously also issues like in every country and uh settling in isn't necessarily always easy, but in Sydney I thought it was just a, a an amazing city to live in as a particularly as a young adult. Mm-hmm. um you know it's it 's a bit of a party town i um I was sharing with a flight attendant, which meant that I was you know getting exposed to lots of other flight attendants and they tend to party and they know the pilots and they need to party so there was a lot of fun uh at that time uh of my life and working working in the downtown the the core the office was just uh in the downtown core. And my lunchtime, I would go to the botanical garden. It was just amazing.
0: Yeah, you must have been kind of disappointed to go back yet again. Yeah. Um,
1: yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. Um, yes, it it was. But at least at that time, it was my own personal decision, and that makes a big difference.
0: Yes. Yes, it does I indeed. It's always better to, to make those choices yourself, right? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. So, what are some of the more interesting? Cultural differences from a from a from an employee perspective um, from the various places that you've been.
1: Hmm, interesting question. So, okay, so definitely there was a bit of a culture shock from that first move. Um, so, having grown up in Germany, and now I was in uh, Florida, North Miami Beach, at 21 years old, never lived away from home. Um, and, you know, A, I didn't speak the language really well. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, there was a lot of uh, difficulties, communication difficulties. And then, you know, um, the resort hotel that I worked in was owned by a very rich Jewish family. And it was a membership-based resort. So mm-hmm. a lot of the members were Jewish. Mm-hmm. And me being there with a very strong German accent was not always very welcome. So
0: that certainly was uh,
1: an interesting experience.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Also, you know, what really struck me at that time is that uh, in the States, particularly in a, let's say, in a hotel environment where people are not making a lot of money, that I knew that some of my colleagues were working three jobs.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And that was really um, a surprise to me. So I hadn't experienced that before.
0: Um, yeah, the hospitality you know, industry is not known for its uh, high pay.
1: No, no, for sure not. And even though you're surrounded by the richest, um, but that doesn't mean that the staff is 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 making a lot of money. And um, mm-hmm. so that was that uh, part. Then um, another part was, you know, the hire and fire mentality that – I've heard about when I lived in Germany, but is you know that's when I experienced it so in Germany, people tend to uh, study and learn towards what I would say is a profession it's something that they tend to do the rest of their life while in the states, people are much more uh moving, and they might do one thing today and something totally different tomorrow. And um, so that was also, uh, you know, a new experience for me. Uh, In Germany also, we have uh, the social system uh, provides people with, you know, a lot of vacation, uh, paid Mm -hmm. vacation. um, And we don't have the type of sick days that we have here in North America in Germany where people can accumulate sick days and then use them even if they're not sick. That doesn't happen. When you're sick, you're sick and you stay home and you, you get paid. Um but we do uh in Germany get up to six weeks vacation, so when I came to the states in that particular job, the first year there was no vacation and right. the, I actually was probably in a in a really good position um with my management trainee job that I did get a certain amount of free of off days that I could use to go and visit my family um and I did get probably compared to what the minimum wages was a fairly good wage with 6 dollars an hour.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, you know, I actually also started working a second job um uh, which was an experience in itself. I worked at a high-end uh department store, uh clothing store, mm-hmm. and I learned at that time that retail is not my thing. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, I just, that was just not the experience I was seeking. I mean, I made it, I did it for the money, for adding a little bit of money, so, but I really, that was not what I enjoy doing. So, yeah, I mean, certainly there was a lot of eye-opening and a lot of experiences in that, in that two years period um, that I think have been building a strong foundation for me.
0: Yeah, well, we have always had vacation envy for the Europeans because we know that they get a lot more than most people do here. Unless you've been with your company for, you know, forever, then you may have worked your way up to five weeks. But um, for the most part, you're right. I mean, that's one thing that definitely is a big difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. your, your um, British Airways uh, had uh, offered you a move to Vancouver. Yeah. Um, And then what happened then? Yeah, so I was working, I moved to
1: Vancouver um, in 2001, um, in July 2001, and we all know what happened in September,
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: um, so the whole airline industry was a little bit on shaky grounds and we kind of kept our heads very low. And we were uh, worried at that time that the management company would actually be totally closed down, which didn't happen. Uh, we were a very small company, so the airlines had much bigger problems within their own uh, organizations. That they we, kind of the storm passed us by um, with with our organization. So I stayed with them for for 11 years and uh was in a number of different roles i started as a marketing manager then i moved into a business manager position and then ultimately i moved into the e-commerce manager position and i was responsible for the website um any additions to the website like we created a booking engine and and mobile apps and all kinds of different uh exciting things that we were um a front runner. We were actually the first alliance that would introduce a lot of these um, technical enhancements to our web presence, which was really exciting. And then, uh, what happened is that the CEOs of the airlines, who were ultimately uh, describing or, or demanding or deciding on what happened at the management company level. They ultimately decided that uh, they wanted the office to move, uh, to move to New York. Uh, First, there was a number of cities in the running, and New York was one of them, and then ultimately that's what they've decided on. And then we were told in 2010 that this was going to happen. We didn't know when. We didn't know how long it would take. We also then learned that pretty much our whole top management would be leaving the organization, Mm -hmm. meaning that we had a whole new top management coming in. our organization was very small, but we had um, so it, there was no depth to the organizational structure. We had a, our managing partner, the equivalent to the CEOs of the airlines. We had a number of VPs who were the, C, the equivalent to a VP level on the airlines, and right after that, that was us. Mm-hmm. So the doers, <laughs> right? Because we were only a small team, and. Um, so we we were very directly impacted if the whole management would be exchanged, and we didn't really know what that meant. So the management came in, and uh, then we still didn't know. So this was like six months later, if not longer, probably more like nine months later. We, at that point, still didn't know uh, if we would be even given an offer to go to New York and what that meant, So that took a few more months, and then we had the offer, and I decided that I didn't want to take them up on the offer and um, that I would leave the organization. And I was one of the last ones to leave, so a few people did move to New York. Some people were replaced. Some people left early. And I was, I think, um, then ultimately some of us were asked to stay until a certain month uh, for the transition, so the office closed in October, and I was there until September, so there was two or three more people that uh, ultimately closed down the office in the following month. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's where I uh, was faced with a big decision. What is the next thing for me? And yeah. is that next thing that I'm going to look for another job, or is that thing that I'm going to start and look for contract work, or am I looking at opening my own company and it's just been uh I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur and never had the guts, <laughs> so mm-hmm. this was the kick in the rear end to to make me do it,
0: yeah, well, sometimes that's what it takes, you know we we have these dreams, but we we just don't take the action until it's forced upon us, but you know I always look at it as you know you can you can be upset and grieve for a little while about losing your job or whatever it is. But if you've had something in the back of your mind, it's it's almost always a positive step, right? It's almost always yeah. the universe telling you, okay, <laughs> you've waited long enough. It's time.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> I agree. And I have to say, I mean, at that point, I, I really wasn't grieving anymore because that transition When you're closing out, closing down an office and moving it to totally new people who have not been there with you, have not experienced what you've experienced, don't know the background, why the decisions were made the way they were made, and they're unraveling everything that we've built out in the last 11 years, that is not a pleasant experience. And I I just could, ultimately in the last few months, I just couldn't wait to get out of there. Mm
2: -hmm. It
1: was just becoming really uh very difficult to work in that environment. Um it was very uh, you know, it was physically even upsetting me. I had a stomach knot every day I went to work.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. That sounds very unpleasant.
1: Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't pleasant. I mean there there was nothing wrong. I mean I got paid, you know, I I I was still doing some work, but it wasn't meaningful anymore. It was it was yeah, administration and and training new people who were then deciding not to actually wanting to do what we were doing anyway. So it was just, mm-hmm. it felt like um, the last 11 years hadn't counted.
0: Oh, that's awful.
1: Yeah, so it was really not a, a, an easy period, and um, but ultimately I got through it, and then I took a couple of months off, uh, and I was very, very lucky that... I got a contract um, basically two months later, which, you know, it was a three-month contract uh, with a local company here, and I'm still working with that company. So it's been a long three months since end of 2011, but it's been really helpful for me to have that contract which provided me with some ongoing income while at the same time kind of figuring out what type of company do I want to have, what work will I do, and going through my own transitions within my business over the last mm-hmm. uh, five years to get to where I am today, where I have some clarity of what is it that my business is about and what are the services that I want to offer, who are my ideal clients and all that. It does take a while to figure that out. And uh, I was very lucky that I had this contract that really helped me to do that and to be generous with myself, to put money into uh, self-development, into a lot of training and, and, and other investments that really have helped me to get to this point.
0: Hmm. Excellent. Well, that is a perfect segue. We've got to take a short break. And when we come back, online business mentor, what is it and why do you need one? Are you
2: ready to take your information, wisdom, and experience onto the stage, but you're not sure how? Do you wonder just how to craft a compelling message that creates huge impact and the income of your dreams? If so, then you need to join us on our webinar, How to Triple Your Income Through Speaking, where you'll finally learn step-by-step what it actually takes to make money speaking. You're also going to learn what stops speakers from having an engaged audience that wants to buy, and you'll learn how to have the confidence to get out there and make a big difference on ideal stages. Look, it's time to stop letting your fears get the better of you and step into your power with a message that rocks the world. Register today for your free webinar, How to Triple Your Income Through Speaking, with me, Karen McGregor, at speakersuccess.com.
0: You are listening to Change Redefining Success. Welcome back. I'm Kate Fessler, and I'm here with my guest, Petra Mayer. So, Petra, what is an online business mentor, anyway? (laughs) That
1: is a very good question. Um, An online business mentor helps other people who have a business to build and develop their business in the online space. So what I do with my clients is I support them in the process of developing their, what I call the digital footprint. That's one part of it. So the digital footprint includes the website and how you are um, acting in the online space with your social media, your content marketing, etc. But in another place, and that's really where my focus of my business lies these days, is to help my clients to develop their own online courses and group programs. We don't need to be tied down by the location where we're at. We can choose the location where we want to live at. As long as we have good internet, we can actually run our business from wherever we are. Now, I predominantly work with service businesses. And so what I'm saying here particularly applies to service businesses. Such as coaches or consultants, holistic practitioners, um, you know, even financial advisors uh, who provide services and who particularly also have an area in their business where they are training or mentoring or coaching their clients.
0: Mm. Well, and you are sort of uniquely qualified to you know what it's like to bounce around the world. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> yes, and to work with people across multiple timelines. Typically, I don't get it wrong with the timeline. I have been known, though, that I've called in at the wrong time of the day. But it's uh, typically, I I have worked with these virtual teams like all through my period with One World. Our work was predominantly – I always called it like the United Nations of the airline industry – because we worked with people who were situated in the offices of the airlines around the world, and we would have these collaborative projects that we were uh, facilitating and, and managing. So when I'm working with my clients now, in some ways it's quite similar.
0: Well, I love the location independent aspect and I haven't ever actually heard that term, but it's perfect. Um, And I know that a lot of my clients in particular start their businesses to support a particular lifestyle, right? So we work back from what is your ideal life to what type of business do you want to start to support that ideal life as opposed to, you know, the other way around. And so a lot of people really do want that independence of not having to be at a particular place at a particular time, um, you know, to meet with clients from anywhere via, you know, Skype or what have you, and to be able to work with people around the world who may or may not necessarily be in their physical space, um, but can be their clients anyway.
1: Yes, absolutely. And it's certainly been uh, the driver in in my business that's, That's been my goal, to create a business that is location-independent. And it's taken me a while to figure out how I can do this. I mean, it didn't start then in in September 2011. It didn't start then because my contract work is not as location-independent as I'd like it to be. But when I look at my coaching and my, um, my work as a business mentor, an online business mentor, that work provides me with that location-independent aspect to my uh, business. And that's certainly been something I've been working hard on developing in my own life, and I see it that that is one thing that my clients really desire, and particularly when we're thinking about women who are, uh, let's say, in their 40s upwards, that perhaps have been in a corporate environment, that are kind of sick of the politics, and the the agendas, and, you know, let's be truthful here, there's a lot of backstabbing that can be happening in, in corporations,
0: and mm-hmm. they don't want
1: that anymore. And they want something that is meaningful and that allows them to give the flexibilities to spend time with their families or to spend time doing the things that they love to do. Mm-hmm. And corporate positions don't typically allow us to do that.
0: And no, they then, don't.
1: Additionally, a lot of people who are, 40s, 50s, upwards, unfortunately, a lot of them are either losing their positions or they decide to leave a company and then don't easily find a new job to move into. And that's often when they start thinking about developing their own business and creating their own business.
0: Absolutely. And, you know... uh The over 50 crowd really, you know, it's a booming economy right now, especially in our part of the world, the, you know, Seattle, Vancouver, Portland corridor where we've got all this tech stuff and on down through California and Silicon Valley. But it is challenging for older people because, um, you know, the experience that they have now isn't really valued by a lot of employers, but it is something that they could turn into uh, a business that would be valued by an awful lot of people. And so it's that mindset shift and then creating these programs that you're talking about of you know teaching people the things that they've learned over their you know, 30, 40, 50-year careers um, that are translatable into, into helping other people to build their business or their career or their life in a way that they want.
1: Yeah. And if we're thinking about what's happening in... Business. I mean, I, I suspect it's very similar in in the Seattle area as it is here. The baby boomers who are going to go into retirement are leaving behind gaping holes
2: mm-hmm. because there
1: is not the the young experienced people coming in to filling these holes in companies. So that's that's one part. That's where they can provide expertise as part of training that they've. Gathered in their life, in their in their businesses, or in their in their corporate positions, and pass it on to people who are working in corporations. But these training programs, uh, online courses, and group programs can be in any area. I mean, it can be about how do you live a, a fulfilled life. It can be about one of my clients, for example. She is a um, Pilates instructor, and she's in the process of creating a program that helps women with pelvic floor health. Mm. So she is now creating an online course that she could be teaching women around the world of how to uh, overcome some of those weaknesses that are coming either after childbirth or after menopause. And so ultimately, one would think you've got to be in the same room to learn, but no, that's not necessarily the case. And right. Well, uh, I
0: think with video and, and Skype and all those other visual means, absolutely, you can show, show and tell.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of what when I work with my clients, they experience how they could actually put it together as well. So going through an online uh, delivered program gives you lots of experience of how you could actually put your own program together for your audience. But I love what you said earlier, but when you work with your clients, you start with that ideal lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I want them to do, too, because I don't want my clients to build a program and then realize that, oh, I I have to show up like every Wednesday morning at nine. Why why would I want to (laughs) do that? I don't want to do that. (laughs) And so I want them to be really clear about what is it that you want from your life. And who is your ideal customer before we actually go into the designing of a course or a program or multiple courses so that what ultimately gets built is something that helps them to have that lifestyle that they want and work with the clients that they really love working with.
0: Perfect. Perfect, perfect. So we're almost out of time. um, But let me ask you, what is one book or resource that changed your life that you'd recommend to our listeners? Well, clearly,
1: I, I suspect most of your um, your uh, people that you interview will probably say the same thing. It can't be just one book. But here is one book that I really I came across as part of my program that I run, which is called The Big Leap Boot Camp. And this book was actually, I did not know about this book. And I had never seen it. And one of my clients recommended it to me. And it is um, called The Big Leap. And it's uh-huh. by Gay Hendricks. Yeah. And it is very interesting because he even, looked, he even uses a very similar visual as I do in my course. So it's almost like people are actually now seeing it and they say, oh, that's your book. And I said, oh, I wish. But it's an amazing book that helps us to look at what is keeping us from stepping up to that next step in our lives.
0: Mhm so yes I have that book about... I think it's brilliant
1: Oh yeah it's amazing it's talking about how we upper limit ourselves and so it's been very insightful and uh, it's one of the books that I recommend to my clients I often bring to events as if I have a raffle gift or something it's often that book I typically have multiple in my in my book case so just that I have some that I can give away as well
0: Excellent recommendation. So I know that you have a free gift for our listeners. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so when you are in the online business space, what you need is an audience, of course. So that means that we want to be able to attract people to our business, and we do that often with free gifts. So I have created a free report, The Top Ten Ways to Grow Your List with Free Gift, um and that describes kind of what type of gifts you could put out there in the online space. How do you put them together? What are they, the tips and tricks and what do you need to know in order to make them available to your clients?
0: Excellent. And you can get Petra's Free Gift, Top Ten Ways to Grow Your List with Free Gifts at it's a we've shortened the URL for you. It's a bit bit dot ly forward slash P as in Petra, M as in Mayor, C as in consulting, dash gifts. Thank you, Petra Mayer, PetraMayerConsulting.com.
1: Thank you so much for having me today. It was a real pleasure to be here.
0: I hope you enjoyed this week's program. If there's a particular topic you'd be interested in hearing about, go to my Facebook page, First Class Life Solutions, and let me know. Next week, my guest will be Diane Halfman. Diane is a spa life mentor, speaker, and organizational expert. An expert in the nine elements representing a well-rounded life, Diane's gift is to step into any surrounding and determine what is holding you back. Complex problems become simple solutions, as she intuitively guides you into an elevated life you'll love. I hope you'll join me. Until then, here's to your authentic first-class life. I'm Kate Fessler. Thanks for listening to Change, Redefining Success.
2: I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at EWNpodcastNetwork.com.